Hey everyone, it's Heather. I know you're here to listen to the podcast, but did you know I also offer all kinds of online consulting services? Stuff like webinars, book studies, curriculum training and consultation, and even companion activities for podcast episodes to use for staff development. If you're interested, you can check out my website at www.thatearlychildhoodnerd.com or you can email me at heather at thatearlychildhoodnerd.com. Thanks for listening. Grab your highlighters. Can't find them? They're probably right there in your pocket protector. It's time for that Early Childhood Nerd Podcast. Let's get nerdy. Here's Heather. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of That Early Childhood Nerd. I'm Heather Burnt Santi. Uh, before I get any further, I have to say that I'm laughing at myself inside right now because I noticed watching the YouTube videos that I've been posting of the recording session that um, while I'm doing my introduction, I'm also always looking at all the places to make sure we're recording and it looks really weird because I'm like all over the place. So I just have to acknowledge that I know I look weird in the beginning. Um, anyway, welcome. I'm Heather Burnt Santi. Richard Cohen is here. Hi. And Carol Murray. Hello. Carol Garboden Murray, I guess I should say. So we got it. We got it. Emma Tempest, who hasn't been here in forever. Hello. (laughs) And Liz Nolasco. Hello. Hello. Thank you all for coming again. Um, Some of you were just on a recording session with me. So we've been looking at each other for a long time now. Um, We're going to do another article discussion. And this time um, uh, it's an article called Looking for a New Definition of Spirituality. And it's uh, co-written. Carol, you were one of the authors of the article. Yay. Also, Lois Ingelis, Vonetta Rhodes, and Francis Rufrano. Did I get all their names? Um, so just to start, this article starts with a question that is that just asks, how would you create a new definition of spirit and spirituality for early childhood education? Um, and I've been wanting to talk about this topic with people for a while, um, and then didn't even know that you had this article coming out, Carol, until I um, started this conversation with you all. Um, but the idea of spiritual development and spirituality in early childhood has been a little bit scary for me. And honestly, I have skipped articles about it because of my own sort of religious history. And it took me a while to separate spirituality from teaching religion in an early childhood program. So um, maybe we can have some conversation along those lines for other folks who might be in that same boat. But also it's just um, now that I am reading the articles and trying to learn about it a little more, it's a beautiful thing. And I'm so excited about, um, you know, it's one more element that I'm honored to be part of as I think about my work with children and with the people who are caring for them and teaching them. So, um, so Carol, can I ask you first to talk a little bit about it and then we'll we'll jump around. Sure. Okay? Sure. Um, when we were in the midst of the pandemic last summer, a colleague, um, Lois, asked me to sort of co-write an article with her. So we had a, a great um, experience with um, Vanetta and Fran thinking about what is spirituality. And, and, and I, like you, Heather, am hesitant to describe it. Mm-hmm. But I think the reason I like to talk about it because it's, I like to talk about what it is not. And, and even for my own like children, I've had some weird experiences around <laughs> it in education. You know, I've had like teachers who I thought were 
just the most peace-loving kind of uh, positive educators get upset at my boys because they wanted to play sword with swords mm -hmm. or because they wanted to write a story about aliens eating humans, you know? <laughs> and to me, it felt very ironic. It felt like, well, this doesn't make sense. You are want to promote a child's uh, search for meaning and a child's evolution and a child becoming, yet you're squelching the questions <laughs> the child is asking. To me, that's what spiritual, yeah. the spiritual life of the ch child is. It's like thinking about the deeper meaning. Why are we on this planet? Who are we? What is the meaning of life? It's, it's to me, it's very a mysterious question yeah. that probably will never be answered, but <laughs> I like to, I like to have that conversation with other people. Yeah. And I, um, that gives us just another lens to view the ways children are playing, um, is to think about the questions they might be asking. So I wrote a note. I want to make sure, I'm sure we will come back to that search for meaning, um, aspect of it. But I wonder if I could ask if anybody else wants to talk about, um, how you see this as being different from religious development, or if you feel like that's something we need to unpack a little bit more when we're talking about spirituality in early childhood. Well, I think that uh, some people's fear around spirituality, I don't know if I even would call it spirituality education, but mm -hmm. um, allowing children to have experiences that we grownups categorize as spiritual. Um, I think there are some people who think that means anti-religion. Yeah. Um, that if we're doing that, we're somehow um, ignoring or not valuing their religious framework. And I think one of the great points that Carol and her colleagues make in the article is that, you know, that's a fallacy. That's not so. Mm -hmm. um, I can be a teacher and have children in my classroom who are Christian, Jewish, Buddhist, Hindu, atheist. Um, and given Carol and her colleagues uh, attempt at defining spirituality, because I think as Carol said, you, it's, it's really undefinable mm -hmm. and it's not about a product, it's about a process and religion is about a product. Um, I can allow all of those children or I can create time and space for them to have experiences of wonder and love and discovery. And I can know that, or I can believe that that's um, uh, supporting or nurturing their spirituality without ever saying that out loud mm -hmm. and without doing anything that is going against any of their family's religious frameworks. It's not a box on a lesson plan form. From mm -hmm. nine to 15, we do spirituality. It nine to be. nine, 15. <laughs> It could be though, if I was in a faith-based center, oh, right, right, I might right. do that. It got me thinking about um, things like mindfulness and yoga and how sometimes they're seen as a religious thing and that we shouldn't do them and they should be done to children. But then like I've seen in, in conversations where people have renamed yoga to like physical movement and then <laughs> it's okay to do. And it's like, all that, all that, the activities are not necessarily what makes it a spiritual thing. It's like Richard said, it's like the how you were, you were doing it, not the what. 
Mm-hmm. Wasn't there a school or a state that had outlawed yoga in schools and just recently? Like, it might, it might have been Arkansas, but but because they didn't want yoga in schools because people thought it was teaching a different religion and mm-hmm. um, and even things like like I remember back in England in our Church of England school, um, we didn't have like a strict you cannot teach magic, but obviously children would like make potions in the water tray mm-hmm. and they'd make you know magic ones out of sticks and it was like you can't. It was like an undertone of you can't distinctly teach it. You can't encourage it kind of thing. But it, we, we, we followed the children's interests. So it was like, well, you know, they're interested in this. We'll support it in a way that is developmentally appropriate. Mm-hmm. But there was always that like underlying message that, you know, you don't want to cross that line. Well, for me, that's one of the reasons why I distinguish between facilitation and teaching. Mm-hmm. Right? Why I think that's really important because um, uh, uh, Carol, sorry, my brain is not really working very well today. Um, <laughs> we should not be doing these on Sundays. Um, <laughs> Pay me to Carol, not work oh, on Fridays. Well, yeah. Emma <laughs> talked about mindfulness and Carol in the, uh, or someone else in the article uh, talked about um, meaning, right? And so one of the things that I've always, I mean, my whole Zen and the art of early childhood education is posited on the idea that um, the sort of spiritual um, wisdom that we adults share with each other to help each other through life is very applicable to the work of early childhood education. Um, and that's what I've you know, been trying to help people notice is that little children are human beings and some of that wisdom applies to them just as well. And they, they deserve it and they deserve that respect. So one of the things that I always say to people is that our job is not to teach children anything. This is going back to teaching and facilitation. It's about helping them make sense of the world in which they found themselves. Mm-hmm. That's all. Mm-hmm. Um, and that making sense means making meaning. Because as one of the people in Carol's article states, our brains, our minds, all are designed to want to make meaning out of our, what's happening to us. And so our job is to just help them make their own meaning, whatever that is. Not, it's not my job to tell them my meaning. This is how you should think or feel about something. My mommy and daddy says, blah, blah, blah. Okay, great. But I'm not going to tell you what I think about it or my values. So one of the examples I often give is, you know, uh, if I read a book about the two princes that love each other, are you teaching homosexuality? Nope, but there's lots of gay couples in the world and children notice what's in the world. So it's worth bringing up. Mm -hmm. I'm not teaching, I'm not advocating for anything. I'm just helping them make sense of what they see around them. Mm -hmm. Carol, unmute your mic and say something wise and brilliant. (laughs) <laughs> I was just looking for what I had highlighted to talk about next, but Carol's good. Let's go. <laughs> okay. Well, I think that um, when you're thinking about the search for meaning, um, you do how children search for meaning. You do want to kind of broaden your own concepts of 
spirituality and think about maybe ways you've thought about religion or ways you've thought about morality, what is right and what is wrong. Um, and then maybe if you have that awareness, when you watch kids play or you hear the kinds of questions they ask, we don't have to go into the panic mode. Oh, the child is playing with a gun, but I have a responsibility to teach them to be kind. So I cannot let children play with guns. So there are all these, there's just so many layers regarding what we believe is right. And we want children to grow up to be peaceful human beings. Of course we all do, but if we're able to relax a little bit and realize that children are seeking meaning, like, like Richard said, then maybe when they're playing with the guns, we can start to notice that the, the story they're telling includes rescue and safety, danger, belonging, love. Um, maybe we can step away from our fear that they're going to grow up to be violent children and try to understand what kind of questions they're asking as they seek to make meaning. And maybe it will help us have a deeper appreciation for the intelligence of children that, wow, from the start, human beings are trying to make sense of life. What is good? What is bad? What is right? What is a friend? What is an enemy? You know, what is love? What is belonging? These are questions we ask ourselves our whole lives. And children from the start are also asking them through, the, through their behaviors and through their play. And if I, unless I work at a faith-based center, it's not my job to answer that question. It's my job to live in the question with them and say, hmm, that's a really interesting question. What do you think? That's, you know? And like you said, like there is technically like no right or wrong. There's no, there's no definition of what is morally just because it is all just people's thoughts. It's all just humans thinking things and then some humans agree and some humans don't. Mm -hmm. Well, it's like when we find a dead bird on the playground, right? Mm -hmm. And then we come back inside and the children, someone will inevitably say, what happens when you die? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then we have that conversation and we go around the circle and one person says, well, you go to heaven. And another person says, well, your body goes into the ground and then it becomes vitamins for flowers. And someone else says, whatever they say. Mm -hmm. um, and my only response is, isn't that interesting that everyone has a different idea about that? And then they'll say, well, but which is the right one? And I'll say, I don't know. <laughs> but you and your family get to choose for yourself. And whatever you choose is right for you. And sometimes like when a couple of years ago, we had it, we do, sometimes we have chickens at our school and we had a baby chick that died. And so the children got to witness this one chick that was sick and this one chick that died. And we talked about what we should do. And, and, you know, we, we, buried the chick and they painted stones and put stones on the chick's grave. But it was a, it was such a, an amazing experience for me to witness, just witness their behavior and their play around this ritual of death and the stuff that came out of them. I felt like it was so primordial. It was just so, it, it moved me to tears to see the kids singing songs to the chick, picking flowers, putting flowers. And, and it was raining when we went out, started pouring down rain and they just were 
circling this grave, chicky, chicky, I'm so sorry you're gone. I hope you have a good life <laughs> in the ground, or I hope you go to heaven or whatever they believed. But they were like, they sang these songs of mourning for the chick. It just came from them. So they weren't really explicitly asking questions, but their behavior was just, um, they were so comfortable with it really, with mourning and with death. And, and I might've been afraid to go there. I might've just said, Oh, the chick got lost, (laughs) you know, but we didn't do that. We, 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 we we went, we, we let them have that real experience and it was beautiful. Yeah. That reminds me of, um, so in the article, Carol, you're, you tell the story of being in the car with your son and talking about death and Johnny Cash. (laughs) But what you're describing now fits this quote too, where you said, all those statements like this surprise us with their cleverness and tempt us to chuckle at kids. We must remember to take children seriously. Um, And I felt like that was such a good sort of jumping off point, maybe for someone who's never thought about how to be spiritual around children or with children or, or who felt that fear. What do I, what do I do around this big question that I see coming up? Um, Because of course they say things that because they're children, we think, oh, that's so cute or that's so funny, or I can't wait to tell so-and-so that this happened. Um, and maybe but, it gives us a little freedom not to feel like we have to answer questions yeah. if, we can, if we can accept spirituality is mysterious and different for everyone so that we can say, hmm, yeah, I wonder, I wonder with you, that's, that's a really good question. Let's write that down. I, you know, let's think about that together. Do you have an idea? And then maybe two days later, we come back to the question. So how do we build these cultures that are cultivating inquiry mm-hmm. and pondering the mystery of life together. Mm-hmm. And we find ourselves in a society that values the external, right? How we look, what can we do, uh, right? Our, our outside bodies and the other, right? Our beauty and our physicality and all that. The other part of that story in the article that Carol told about the uh, her boys in the car and all that was that a month or months later, uh, it, the topic came up again, right? And she realized, oh, this is something that's been on my child's mind for a while. I remember him mentioning it back then. And so one of the things I think about our world is that we don't tend to value the internal lives of others. And we, especially children, we forget they exist. We just look at their outside behaviors, our standardized tools, look at their outside behaviors, Um, And we forget that children have a whole internal life, just like we do, that they're carrying thoughts and uh, puzzles and wisdom around with them for months. And until we put the pieces together and realize that's going on there inside for them, perhaps their spirituality, most of us are not enculturated to even remember that's there for people, Mm -hmm. especially very little people. And how intriguing is it when it's something that we don't bring up with them, certainly not intentionally. And they just get little glimpses when it is kind of peripheral to them. (laughs) Right. Yeah. If we're paying attention. Yeah. And I think in that, in those kinds of moments, even if we just say, you've been thinking about that a lot lately, or that's a lot like the question you were asking when such and such happened, we sort of can help them develop a habit of paying attention to their inner life Uh too. And valuing it. Um, and valuing it. And then that maybe leads to a perspective taking that, oh, other people probably have this inner life too. Um, and uh, that just seems like 
I don't know, that's like a utopia, right? When we're all, we're in tune with our own inner lives and we understand that others have it too. And yeah. And, and I, I do, I do come back to my, my kid a lot who, who was a deep thinker and, um, and I do remember him being scolded, you know, for telling a story about, about uh, aliens killing humans. <laughs> because and it was violent. Is that the problem? It because violent. it was violent. It didn't have a happy ending. Oh, brother. And, and, um, and I thought, wow, that is such an incredible story. He said to me, he was, he was in first grade and he said to me, mom, in my mind, it was a happy ending because I was imagining I was an alien. <laughs> bad and I was saving my race <laughs> oh boy right. so but I remember him pulling that crumpled like story out of the bottom of his backpack oh my god he was so embarrassed because the the librarian had sent him to the principal's office for it oh wow yeah okay the that's a whole other episode the librarian who <laughs> was a beautiful lovely peace loving kind person she really felt that she needed to make sure we knew that this child was telling stories with unhappy endings that oh included death. Yeah. And I guess, you know. Well, I think part of the challenge, like we identified at the beginning of this episode, is that most people haven't taken the time or don't understand the difference between religion and spirituality. And so if your goal is to support and nurture the spirituality of young children, um, that's really hard for many adults who, whose minds their whole lives have been framed around religious beliefs of right and wrong. And it's much easier to grasp onto something that's binary, which also comes up in your article, right? That's black and white, violence <laughs> is wrong. And my job is to teach children what's right. And they don't understand that our job isn't to work from our own religious frameworks, but to support something much more amorphous that we may not be in touch with. Mm -hmm. That's really hard for people, some people. And respecting children enough to not try to limit our conversations with them back to that black and white, good and bad, I think is just another level of even considering young children's independent spirituality. Mm -hmm. Acknowledging their humanity. <laughs> I mean, that's a big piece of it. The other one of the other aspects of this article that I really appreciated, Carol and everybody, yeah. is um, that there's the mention of um, uh, of nurturing spirituality, and this was said earlier through relationships. That you know, um, and it, it brought up for me right away Lev Vygotsky, right, and um, the whole value of or the whole idea that learning only happens best in relationship with another person. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's true about spirituality as well. Mm -hmm. Maybe we could become spiritual in a vacuum, but it's much more likely to happen in relationship with another loving person. Yeah, that was one, that was something I had highlighted that I wanted to bring us around to at some point, Carol, when you said, it's only through the response of the other that we find ourselves in independence is a myth. I, I think the idea of independence versus inter interdependence is another one that's really hard um, because of, um, of our culture of independence in the States, especially, you know, we're all doing our own thing and pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps. So. Um, but, but this idea that independence versus interdependence comes into a conversation about spirituality. 
with young children. And I wanted to be sure that, that I heard from whoever wants to expand on that too, because that was so interesting to me. Well, I think interdependence is very um, threatening to people who um, believe that their power uh, is based on a hierarchical understanding of society. And it's the only way to keep themselves at the top of that hierarchy. Mm -hmm. uh, the idea of interdependence really threatens that their station in life, mm -hmm. they think. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think Fran talks about sort of the beginning of life and the mother, the father, the early childhood caregiver, teacher, the gaze, the gaze as how do I look at the other so that the other develops a sense of themselves? And how is this sense of who am I part of that spiritual quest? Who am I? Who are we? You know, what, what is the meaning of life? But that beginning, who am I separate from you? And I don't know who I am unless I start to see myself in you, but then I am separate than you. So um, thinking about again, when a child asks a shocking question, you know, what, what do they interpret in our gaze, in our response, in our ability to validate their question and their inner quest for knowledge instead of to be shocked by shock, you know, kids ask great questions and either to laugh at it, oh, that, that's so cute, you know, mm -hmm. that's such a cute question or to think that they want us to answer them. Um, well, the reason the sky is blue is because <laughs> blah, 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 you know, um, or that they want us to validate their, who they are and their inner life and, 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 to, and to wonder with them. Mm -hmm. I think for me, it brought up that conversation that you hear when people say like, um, like if a child zips up their coat and the adult says, you did it. And then that's it. Then they never help them ever, ever again mm -hmm. because they can do it independently. So therefore their job as teacher is done. That child can zip their coat up. They never need help ever again. And then there's always that, that, that time when the child asks for help. And then you have that conversation with the staff of, well, why are they asking for help? They can do it themselves. And then there's always that one person that's like, well, they might just want to connect with you, mm -hmm. you know, and that, that, that phrase about independence being a myth really it struck me as really valid because we we value independence so much like the first steps that the baby takes the first time they zip up their coat when they learn their abcs like all of those things that they can now do independently it doesn't mean we should take away what independent interdependent stuff they need to do as well mm -hmm. Or and we value that, it and celebrate it until it's inconvenient and we're in a hurry yeah. and they're trying to be independent and we move on. Yeah. Well, and for, that brings up for me because everything in life brings this up for me is process versus product, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. We don't help them learn to put on their jacket for the product, which is okay. Putting on their jacket. That's great. But we're helping them put on their jacket because we're helping them. Ex we're, we're letting them experience that human beings help each other. Mm -hmm. And so it really doesn't matter whether they have that skill or not, mm -hmm. but a lot of people forget that because we're such a product oriented mm -hmm. society. Mm -hmm. Yep. 
I think we can also appreciate that, that, you know, children have heightened senses, so they can probably see better than us, hear better than us, smell better than us, and perhaps they can intuit and sense better than us. No, it might not be true for all children, but I certainly have been around children who seem to really pick up on the mood, um, Mm -hmm. really pick up on the emotional climate, maybe absorb more than they, that is healthy to absorb for whatever reasons. So we all have different levels perhaps of empathy, Um, but children seem to know what's going on. You know, they seem to know if we're authentic or if we're fake or if we really mean it. So what is that sensing that children have and how does that relate to spirituality? Uh I'm reminded of a story, a little story I heard a long time ago and I have no idea if it's real or an urban myth, but it spoke to me. Um, And it was about uh, a mom who had a, uh, a baby monitor in the baby's room. And so she had a new baby and there was an older child who was four or five years old. And she overheard through the baby monitor, the four or five-year-old child go into the baby's room and whisper to the baby, "Um, tell me what, tell me about God. I'm starting to forget. (laughs) Wow. That would freak me out a little bit. Yeah. (laughs) But I love that story. Yeah. Yeah. But, but also just putting God aside, which perhaps is the exact right thing to do in a conversation about spirituality mm-hmm. and not religion, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Carol's point is really well taken, which is, you know, some of us adults call ourselves empaths, right? We're more empathic than others. But I would tend to agree with Carol. In my experience, all children are far more empathic, not empathetic, but empathic than most adults. Because the process of growing up in this world is about um, covering up our spirit with layers of um, things that once we're adults, it helps us, it, it um, not helps us, it makes it harder to connect with our spiritual core. I think we feel that sometimes when we're with kids, it's in nature too, you know, they just uh, connect with the grass, or they connect with the rocks. Um, we get so removed from it. So it reminds us of sort of our humanness. Maybe our humanness is spirituality. Yeah. And, and again, it's mysterious, but Howard Gardner called it existential intelligence. Uh-huh. So that he, he kind of believed that some kids seemed more drawn to that kind of thinking, like asking the big questions. Uh-huh. And you mentioned in the article why he didn't embrace that uh, ninth intelligence fully. Could you speak a little bit more about your your knowledge about that? Well, what I understood was that he thought about talking about spiritual intelligence, but he okay. he he had the same thought that we've all talked about that he didn't want it to be confused with religion and morality. So he called it sort of existential, meaning you know holding these big questions and and having having a quest to find meaning, being a seeker. Yeah, because back in the day when that was first proposed to him, it was from uh, faith-based people and professionals. And from my understanding, he he was really clear that, as we've said in this conversation, those folks were misunderstanding. They weren't able to um, untangle uh, or detach religion from spirituality. 
And that's why he didn't jump on that bandwagon so quickly. Mm-hmm. Liz, is that you that I keep hearing starting something? Sorry, Liz. No, that's okay. Um, just to, to go back with this idea of children being you know, sensing and this idea of that Gardner proposed of this additional type of intelligence kind of connects. I, I think it's so interesting that we're talking about children's spirituality and the emergence of the self. And then we've got this lovely euphemism that we hear all the time of the spirited child. <laughs> <laughs> and I kind of have to wonder where the authentic self connects to the spiritual, connects to what adults are kind of trying to squish. Mm. <laughs> Good point. Yeah, this this article reminded me of, of a, a social media conversation I was having just a few days ago with Dan Hodgins. Lisa Griffin Murphy might have been part of it, but it, it was through Bettina Atwell in her um, Early Childhood Education International Facebook group. And she was talking about protecting the environment. And shouldn't we be teaching young children to protect the environment? And Dan immediately jumped in and said, um, or my interpretation of what he said was, um, you know, in the first years of life, our job is to help children get to know themselves, which I think is a spiritual uh, uh-huh. process, one could say, um, because you can't ask them protect to protect something outside of themselves until they have a better grasp on themselves. And I think per Carol's article, that understanding of self and what you just said, Carol, is perhaps inherently a spiritual process mm-hmm. I'm gonna argue word that self go ahead Liz I'm sorry oh no I, I'm just here to argue with you I'm gonna argue that it's like reading and writing you can't have one without the other just like um one of the authors brings up Martin Buber right who talks about these I thou spiritual experiences you need the understanding of the self paired with learning the other mm. I don't think you can single one out healthily right I think that, I think uh, Dan's point was not that you shouldn't learn about the other, but you shouldn't uh, have the responsibility of protecting the other um, until you've learned about yourself and the other first. I think yeah, maybe the other being idea, the environment. Yeah. Maybe the idea of premature abstraction that if we put all that weight on children to save the planet before they learn to love it, that mm-hmm. that could cause them to become disenfranchised and, and burn out <laughs> or just not Carol receive was the part of that conversation. Mm-hmm. Right, Carol? Yeah. You were actually right there in the middle of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Heather, go ahead. No, I, I don't know what I was going to say. Um, so, so it's okay. But so, I mean, just, so going back to, to, to nature, just cause that kind of, I, I don't think that he's saying ever, cause this came up in an episode he and I did about moral uh, morality versus developmental um, considerations. And uh, he's definitely not saying that we can't model, you know, mm-hmm. love for the earth and, mm-hmm. and things in it. And for me, that ties to when, when I think about um, uh, sort of helping children in, in their spiritual development, I haven't even really decided how I talk about it myself. But um, one of the things that always comes to mind when I'm thinking about this is the fact that, you know, at the preschool, I, I don't, we don't stomp on bugs. We don't break up spider webs. We talk about the bugs, right? To be there and the spider webs and the, the 
you know, just respecting life in general. And um, I'm not saying one day it will be your job to protect the earth. I'm saying let's connect with this other thing that is also alive. Um, and for me, that's one of the ways that it's appropriate to, to introduce the other to a child who is really working on itself. Um, and and that's that's a, spiritual. Yeah, that's a great example. And it, it comes up with four and five-year-olds so much too around social issues too. I think it can interweave with the this conscience, mm -hmm. you know, when you hurt someone's feelings, that kind of stuff. So, I mean, I just witnessed a, a child came up to the teacher and said, you know, um, Sam said he hates Brielle. <laughs> and the teacher said, wow, that, that sounds like that really bothers you. You know, I was, I was such a great opening and it opened up to this whole big conversation and the teacher could guide and she could say, the word hate is a really strong word and it could really hurt someone's feelings. You know, she could give some guiding, some guidance and she could say, we want our school to be a place where people feel safe. Um, so, you know, trying to find out, find where we model and where we guide and where we let kids know we are here to keep you safe. You know, it's our job to take care of the planets and we're, we're going to show you how to carry those little spiders outside, <laughs> um, not placing it on them, but also, you know, there is that fine line, right, about modeling and guiding and, and protecting. Yeah. And you sort of make your own inner life you sort of talk it through and make it more external so they can see that aspect um, and start to connect it to their own. You know, it's like, it's like everything else we're doing with children. We're modeling, we're living it, we're being authentic. And eventually that's, you know, that's what they're paying attention to sometimes. And through that relationship, you know, we can, we can make that impact without being really heavy handed about it. I think, like you said, I think it all comes back to, the relationship you have with yourself and like like that the quote about um being present um oh i, 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 like it, but I can't find it but it says something like being with children oh here we go lois young children bring us into the present and i just think that's so powerful because it is like all that language that you that you think and then you express to children when you know, Sam says that about Brielle, it is all connected to what your like higher self thinks, like to bring it back to the spirituality thing, like what your best self would want to do in that situation as a grown up. That's what we want to teach children and facilitating those kinds of discussions and having those guided questions to help them find that inner self because they don't have inner speech yet. So they don't have that that voice in the head that tells them they're morally developed. Yeah. Emma, I have a question for you um, about this. I think this is you, but it could go to anybody here. Um, one of the phrases that I hear bubble up in our field or have heard in recent years, um, and Emma, I believe you, 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 this term is important to you. And so I'm hoping you can help us make the connection to spirituality. And the term is flow. Mm -hmm. And so, could you tell the people who are listening or watching what the what that means flow and how perhaps it connects to spirituality um well i think there's like many definitions of it but coming from like a positive psychology lens um it is just about being in that moment <clears throat> and finding meaning 
So like one of the one of the big points of positive psychology is that all humans in order to flourish is that they find meaning in what they do. So whether that's your job, whether that's your family life, whether that's just, you know, making a cup of tea, like just taking that time to be present and really connect with what you're doing. And I found in the classroom, like the, like when I used to work in a school, we had a timetable that was the school day, but so many, so many times I ended up, you know, being late, letting the kids out because we'd be in that state of flow and I wouldn't even realize what time it was. And then there's other times when we had to break that flow to like go to a whole school assembly. And I hated it so much because it was like going against everything I believe in. Um, But yeah, I think for flow, flow can definitely be, it's something you can actively access. It's not just something that happens to you. You can create the environment that will promote flow which I think is really, I'm glad you brought it up because it is, it definitely links with spirituality and, and play, of course. Thank you. Yeah, and just seeing children in the flows. They're so in the flow, right? So oh, many yeah. time when we're not interrupting them. <laughs> yeah, the and I, I think going back to like that higher self thought thing, they're not clouding what they're doing with, oh, I've got to get tea ready. Oh, I've got to put the washing on so I can do the laundry before three o'clock. Like, they don't have all those extra thoughts going on that adults do. They're just in that moment with their feelings. And if they enjoy it, they keep doing it. It's that simple. Whereas with adults, when we enjoy something, sometimes it's like, it's hard to know when to stop. Kind of like recording this, Heather. Like, when do you press stop? Like, <laughs> right? And I think that this work invites us to sort of be creative because I, I think I drive people crazy as a, just a, a director sometimes because I don't want to make rules. So if the teachers say, what's the rules about gunplay? You know, I want to say, well, we need to, we need to decide, you know, as we observe the children, you know, there have been some years where we, the teachers have said, I, I don't like the gunplay. I don't feel comfortable with it. You know, um, it needs to stop now. You know, and I respect that sometimes from a teacher who has reasons and who is in dialogue with her team. Um, and we've talked about how it can become submer- subversive if we say no, you know, but it does have to come from the adult's comfort level, all these, all these conversations. And, and if you're in a place with your colleagues where you can really respect the inner life of children and your own inner life and try to open your mind around uh, the child's search for meaning, there isn't going to be a rule that you can follow. It's we're always in this creative sort of uh, negotiation with ourselves, with children, with our team. This brings to mind for me the last podcast topic we were just talking about, which is the investment narrative um, of early childhood education and the standardization of it that comes out of the idea of investing. And when you start to standardize uh, education, well, l- let me say this. It seems to me that the five of us believe that this topic is one of the most valuable parts of early childhood education, supporting children's flow or spirituality or inner, inner life, whatever that is. And what's very saddening and angering to me is that this thing that we think is probably the most valuable part is the first thing that gets lost 
when early childhood education gets standardized. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and that's really scary and sad to me. Mm-hmm. But it's, yeah, it's right there that. in that process versus product piece is what you're talking about. Yeah. Go ahead, Liz. I was just saying we don't have time to talk about the, the death of the bird. We have to get onto our science curriculum. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yes. right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good point. <laughs> and we go back to our pioneers, you know, that that what we do is about the here and the now. And who was it? Lucy Sprague Mitchell, you know, back, mm. she wrote beautifully about that in the 40s and 50s, yeah. you know, and she was defending what they were doing at, at Bank Street, you know, right. letting children be in the here and the now. Mm-hmm. And here we are in the whatever date it is now, 2000. And, yeah. Um, so whenever I go back and read, and I, I was just reading about Lucy Sprague Mitchell not too long ago, but whenever I go back and read some of these uh, sort of pioneers, I think, boy, we really ignore a lot of good stuff. We really <laughs> willfully <laughs> blind ourselves to a lot of good yeah. stuff that's been some out there. Beautiful, some right. beautiful, beautiful stuff about yeah. the here and the now and the 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 play of mm-hmm. the child mm-hmm. and the questions that children ask. It's it, we've been talking about it for a lot of years. Yeah, <laughs> and you know, I don't think I can get through an early childhood nerd podcast without bringing this topic up it's i'm a broken record on it but you know what i hear carol talking about and i can say for myself my life has been transformed uh by the matriarchs of our field um and by um feminine and feminist thought um and we have to acknowledge that those women and that thinking and those points of view exist in the context of a patriarchal society which Mm -hmm. is why they get devalued and aren't part of the standardization that is so desired by the folks in power, the Mm -hmm. men in power. Mm -hmm. And there was a point in the article, I can't find it right up, where it's Lois who says, um, is referring to another Mary Carol Carol Gilligan, um, points out that what was once called women's intuition and yeah. is now is now called emotional intelligence and is valued as you know now that it's not gender identified and um, that's not exactly I think what you were saying Richard but um, it's part of it but there is yeah just this idea that and and Liz was it maybe the last podcast I don't even know if it was this conversation or the last one where you talked about so much of the standardization that we see is based on those feminine preferred activities and behaviors from children. Um, so we could just go, we could just dig in all kinds of directions with this. <laughs> I don't know that I have a point there. I just think this is all really interesting. Yeah. I think that those people like Lucy Sprague Mail and, and Lucy Sprague. Mitchell. Mitchell. <laughs> and um, and uh, Carol Gilligan, the sort of the, the, that were really advocating for the here and now and for leaning towards domesticity and this women's way of being in the world would be creating these environments of experiential learning of movement of places where boys can be boys girls can be girls where we don't have this you know this this challenge to we just get rid of that binary yeah yeah (laughs) we can all be humans Um, but then once you funnel it into the systems that we've created Mm -hmm. It's true that right. the feminization of, of sitting down and yeah. talking and writing your letters and numbers that, that is considered more girl activity than the robust play. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but again, it's just the fluidity of 
of uh, gender roles yeah. hopefully is helping us uh, break free of all that. Yeah. Let me ask, so I'm going to ask this question. And if, if we don't have an answer, we don't have an answer. Um, so, so is there a way, so I'm, you know, we're having this big conversation about the process and focusing on inner life and, and spirituality. Um, but we know the reality is that a lot of programs feel this pressure to focus on the letters and the, all that kind of stuff. Is there a way for both to happen? Is there a way that we can be mindful of children's spiritual development and still be moving through the checklist we feel like we have to move through every day? I believe there is. <laughs> I, I, I believe that the most, you know, the, the, the environments that are most respectful to children and in their inner life can also be very rich in um, academic content um, it's just all in the interpretation, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. It's how is it presented? It's <clears> not, <throat> I would prefer that it not be the letter of the week. Right. But I prefer <laughs> it would be songs and stories, writing down children's words, mm -hmm. you know, letting them make predictions about how many acorns they could hold in their hand. I would prefer that all the math and, and literacy could be done through play and care. I oh. think it can be. My last role as a director was of it was of a nature-based emergent curriculum preschool. And you know, not only did I have to help the teachers understand this, but also the parents and the prospective parents on tours, which is it's a leap of it's an odd word to use in the in the context of this <laughs> conversation, but it's a leap of faith or maybe a leap of spiritual center. You can say, you can I don't say know. faith. <laughs> Um, I don't know. It's, I don't want to say the F word in this conversation. Um, that's, that's one F word I don't allow. No. <laughs> um, the children will know their letters and numbers and colors and shapes. When the time comes for them to take their school readiness test, they will do it. But you have to take that leap of faith with me that if you focus on whatever's meaningful for them and you really focus on wonder, and that word wonder to me is really important in terms of spirituality. Mm -hmm. um, you can help them, you can help them express and develop their inner selves and all those outer behaviors that they're gonna get tested on will be there. You just have to take the leap. Mm -hmm. If we're focusing on wonder and the inner life is, aren't we talking about thinking? Mm -hmm. And isn't thinking connected to critical theory and, and developing the kind of citizens that we all hope we can be. <laughs> we talk so much about critical thinking. Um, yeah. And uh, I think critical thinking is, is developed through relationship and play and, and experiential life, mm -hmm. real life, you know, uh, having that funeral for the bird. <laughs> so there is a leap of faith there but uh, there is a, a pretty solid foundation that, mm -hmm. that thinking is thinking. We want to let kids be thinkers, not tell them what to think yeah. and learn that they are agents of their learning. Right. And to recognize that they are thinkers. Like, I mean, that's, that's a piece of it too, for me, is that um, they don't, you know, they ask the question, I don't necessarily have to be the expert. It's not about me, um, but I can follow their thinking and, and acknowledge that they 
you know, had an impact on me with the question they asked or the thing that they wondered. Um, and just by continuing the conversation, I sort of validate that thing that they wondered, even though um, that may not be why they asked. I just think um, it's, it's, it's in, oh, I can't think of what the quote was in here. Um, so, so I'm not going to say it because I don't want to botch it with a, oh, here it is. As early childhood educators, we teach who we are and we become what we teach. Mm. I think sort of, sort of fits here. And as for wonder, I would say the reason why that, one of the reasons why that word is important to me is that wonder happens up here, like Carol was saying, it's about thinking, but it also happens down here. Um, and that's why for me, it's a spiritual experience because it doesn't just engage your mind. It engages whatever this is as well. That sense of awe uh, that you found yourself in something that you can't, that's much bigger than you that you can barely understand. Richard's um, pointing even to his as a grown Yeah, I was gonna say, for those of you not watching the video, Richard's What's pointing that? to his chest. Oh. You were doing up here and down here, but no, no one could see you. Thank you for you. clarifying. <laughs> yes. The mind and the heart. Yeah, yeah. I would say that as an early childhood educator, I, I feel really, really lucky that I am one of those people who who uh, found this profession and 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 feels like it's where I belong. And I and I I get goosebumps. I get goosebumps mm -hmm. still just by hearing the things children say. Mm -hmm. um, so the life of the early childhood educator um, can be an invitation to, to be a seeker, to be a thinker, to, to continue to question what kind of person am I, who do I want to be, and what is my purpose, and what is this community about, what is learning, so, mm -hmm. so that, yep. that spiritual quest uh, is, uh, it's, it's a great territory <laughs> for us all to grow together. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And I would suggest that those goosebumps are an external indicator of an internal spiritual experience that you're having. Mm -hmm. So it's time for me to ask if there's any final thoughts on this one. I really have just enjoyed listening to it all. I don't, I don't even know what I've said, but I've, I've just enjoyed listening to you all on this one. I would bring up joy. And I think that mm. maybe Emma and and yes. Liz has something to say about that. I, I tend to be a pretty serious person, but that's why I love Emma because she is joyful and she makes me laugh. <laughs> no pressure. No pressure, but um, I think <clears throat> I think for me the like final thought takeaway would probably just be that like the happiest early childhood people that I know are the ones who have that childlike spirit about them. They connect with that that sense of play and being playful and kind of like Carol alluded to earlier, just when somebody, when a child says something, they just let it sit for a minute and just, you know, just think about it before necessarily reacting, which is really hard to do because, you know, we all have thoughts and we all have feelings <laughs> and we act on them and children often skip the thought part they just feel and act and I think sometimes remembering to just stop and take a minute to think about what you're thinking it's a bit meta but <laughs> I think that's where the the best early childhood people kind of sit in that 
you know they they take that moment to pause and mm-hmm. just think for a second mm-hmm. i would love to give liz the last word on this one because our here's why because uh <laughs> the early childhood nerd listeners may not know that we actually have six people on this panel <laughs> This is one a really rare moment. We we have a little baby. Um, oh, no, he walked away we, with dad. Oh well, dad, I'm going to pretend he's still in her arms. <laughs> um, we have an actual young child. Uh, we'd had one in our panel, but we also now have a mommy of a of a of a new baby. And I wonder, from a parent's point of view, from your perspective, just as a parent, Liz, what you would wish for your baby in terms of spiritual development. Oh. Rebecca, oh, I, I thought I knew where you were going and then you took a hard look. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Points if you answer without crying. <laughs> <laughs> also no pressure. Just kidding. You cry all you want. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, I mean, I think it is, you know, in terms of his spirituality, I want him to be able to sense it and suss it out for himself in a relationship relationships with other people exactly like mm-hmm. you know you've all been saying this whole time right it's so important for him to discover himself and also his impact on the world around him and like I said earlier I think those go so those are so intimately related that of course I don't want his spiritual experience to be you know guilt and threats of eternal damnation uh, <laughs> but the, the idea of developing as a spiritual being who, you know, my favorite from the Perkeah Avot, um, a Jewish text, right? It's not your job to, to complete the work, nor are you free to abstain from it. The work being betterment of the world, right? So uh-huh. justice, actions. And I feel like I'm babbling a little bit here, but I'm making my way back, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think that's, at the heart of my own spirituality and mm-hmm. I want that for him too. Mm-hmm. Lovely. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> oh man. Um, so again, um, thank you all. This was, I hope that everybody else who listens enjoys this as much as I did just hearing all of your thoughts and perspectives and um, differing where we needed to differ. And that was um exactly what I needed today. Um, so thank you for being here. Um, thanks everybody for listening and, um, and we'll be back again with another episode. Bye everybody. Bye. Bye. That's the show. Now go get your nerd on. has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh.